Well, as Jeff Bridges said in Iron Man circa 2008, that uh, that went well. He was being sarcastic, and I most definitely am not. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Please like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Big thank you to everybody out there who has done so already for continuing to support the show, which is brought to you by Sling TV. Don't miss this week's matchup between Oregon and the Cal Bears as they head to UC Berkeley right here on Sling. Sling Sling has got the TV you love for a price you'll love. Try it today. They've got, yes, the Pac-12 Network, FS1, Fox, the Big Ten, ACC Network, everything you want for college football, including other big-time channels like TNT and TBS. Go check out Sling TV today. Oh, my goodness. That went very well. Not the rhetorical very well that Obadiah Stain was using in a line to refer to Tony Stark's press conference after he announces that Stark Industries is going to shut down the weapons division. No, 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 no. Everything was firing on all cylinders offensively. Six straight drives in this game. Oregon and a touchdown. Or they scored. Six straight. This is becoming a weekly occurrence. I don't know how much better this game against UCLA could have gone. Was everything perfect and flawless? No, it rarely ever is. Seriously, even for really good football teams, even in really good games, Nick Saban had the most hilarious sequence. They're trying to shut out Mississippi State. And it's 30 to nothing, and the Bulldogs are driving. And Nick Saban still wants his team to be playing hard. He's still coaching them hard, and he's just dogging the refs for something. He had a moment he just said, oh, F all you guys, and he's still Matt Right, Nothing is ever perfect, even when things are going very well. But, oh, my goodness, what a display for Oregon football. And by the way, some of you probably noticed on YouTube. Yeah, I got a nice banner in the mail, and I hope that you uh, that you all enjoy that and such. Anyway, just... Side note, whether it's audio, video, little stuff, tweaks here and there, I'm always trying to make the show as good as I can. I've tweaked my production no less than a dozen times. I'll tweak it no more than a dozen times as I host this show. Just goes to show. I care about all of you, want you to have the best experience possible. And the fans in Eugene on Saturday had the best experience possible. Game day was amazing. Sabrina was awesome. Ducks by a million. What a line. What a line, and guess what? Kind of felt like Ducks by a million. It ended up being Ducks by 15, but it felt like more than that. You have the eyes of the college football world on Eugene again. And Oregon fans, shout out to every one of you that was at that game. All 59,930 or however many, fourth largest crowd in knots in history. You do that, you put on that performance in front of a national TV audience with game day there, against a good, red-hot UCLA team. I don't know how much better that day could have gone. I really don't. The environment was amazing. Corso, of course he picked the duck. I was disappointed that Kirk went the other way, but you know what? It happens. But Lee Corso, 
coach did not let us down. He loves the duck. He fumbled it on the game day table. It was amazing and hilarious. And it was just really one of those, one of those fantastic days that you got to just enjoy. You got to just enjoy it. This is one that we should be waking up on Wednesday and still feeling good about everybody. Cause that was a really good football game against a good football team. Do not let that performance fool you into thinking UCLA isn't good. You saw what they did to Utah and Utah is still a good team. Probably not quite as good as last year, but the Utes are still a good football team. We'll see just how good when they go up to Pullman on Thursday, which as we know is a tough place to play, but man, this is a really, really good place for Oregon to be six wins in a row, 40 or more points in every single game. And that's what I want to focus on. They say, and I have as well, that a football team tends to take on the identity of its head coach. And a lot of times that ends up being true. What you see on the field on both sides of the ball is often in some form or another, a reflection of what the head coach thinks and how the head coach thinks you should win football games. What I'm encouraged by so far with Kenny Dillingham, who's a rock star at 32 years old, is that there don't appear to be any handcuffs on him. And we have a defensive coach. But make no mistake, this is an offensively led team. This is an offensive team. The defense on Saturday played well enough. They weren't outstanding. They weren't amazing, but they weren't terrible. They weren't bad. You know, you shouldn't look at the Oregon's defense and say, oh, man, I just I don't feel good about them. They don't do this. They don't do that. There are things to work on. Lanning talks about it after every game, which I am a huge fan of, by the way. He is in that growth mindset that he's preached all year. He's putting that into practice and practicing on the field. What you preach in practice and in the offseason is the mark of a good, capable coaching staff who might remind you are doing this all for the first time in terms of following the leadership of Dan Lanning. That guy knows what he's doing. And Kenny Dillingham needs a raise right now because he's young. And I still don't think Arizona State would necessarily want to hire him because they need a guy who has been a head coach before to build that thing back up. But Kenny Dillingham, he keeps doing this stuff. He just won't be around at Austin Stadium very long. Would a power five school offer him? Maybe, right? You recruit Dante Moore, you put up points like this, it gets the attention of other schools, no doubt. And it's great for Oregon right now. It's really great because he's doing so many things right as the OC. But he's still very young. He's barely been a coordinator, frankly. And Arizona State, when you're dealing with a, a scandal in a program that's in disarray, right? It's not a reboot where you just need a schematical change like what they have going up at Washington right now. You need a complete and utter culture shift and putting that at the at the doormat of, of a 32-year-old, it'd be asking a lot. But within the next year or two, his name is going to get tossed around. And unfortunately, that's the way this works. And it's tough to keep him around. We should do what we can. Give him a raise. Let him know how much we love him. I think Oregon fans know. I love his energy. I love his play calling. I love his approach. I love how he uses the skill players in this offense week in and week out. Here's what I loved most about Dillingham on Saturday. The offense continues to be multiple, explosive, balanced, smart, well-coached, executed. All that's there. But what I love are the little things that he does, the tweaks that he makes, the way he introduces new formations on a weekly basis. 
it is, dare I say, Chip Kelly-esque. I'm not saying he's Chip circa 2009. What I am saying is when you watch those Oregon teams from 2009, 2012, when they were scoring a bunch of points, they were running the same sort of stuff, but they would run it out of different looks every week. And their base formations on a week-to-week basis would change. And they'd have plays they thought would work really well. When was the last time we saw a two-back set? I loved it. But we hadn't shown that before. And all of a sudden, we break it out. And it didn't look like it was something that, ah, you know, it's going to take a week or two for them to get that rolling, but it might be nice. No, you put it in the week prior to that UCLA game, and it's working. And every guy does their role really, really well. And speaking of landing and putting into practice on the field what you preach, there's something he mentioned in that postgame presser that is not just coach speak. It may feel that way for him. It may sound that way to some, but I am seeing it play out on the field. I'll tell you what that is after I remind you that this week's thrilling moment in college football is brought to you by Nissan. The thrilling designs behind the new lineup from Nissan are intended to empower drivers and vehicles as capable as the driver themselves. When I think of unbelievable abilities on the field for this week's thrilling moment, (laughs) yeah, I know exactly what it has to be. That beautiful deep shot, one of many that Dillingham dialed up from Bo Nix to who else but Troy Franklin, who I'm not exaggerating, might be the best Oregon receiver all around in my lifetime, looks like an NFL guy at this point in time, and We get him for this year and next year at the very least. And that wonderful high-arcing deep ball that make Russell Wilson's deep balls look like a low bullet. It graces the heavens and then an angel dropped it down into the breadbasket of Troy Franklin in the end zone. And the Ducks got a big early touchdown. And then they came out and got an onside kick. Yeah, that was pretty fun too. That without a doubt, is this week's thrilling moment. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new frontier. Armada or Pathfinder today, available now at NissanUSA.com. One other reason that I, I started this show with that uh, that callback to the first Iron Man movie and Jeff Bridges there is, number one, it's kind of how my brain works. Number two, I wasn't able to watch most of this game live. I caught the last, I don't know, half of the fourth quarter or so. Some of you may remember that. I was calling a college football game, Southern Utah and Stephen F. Austin, which was a phenomenal game. But when I kept looking at the score during our commercial breaks, when I had a moment, and then I checked it at the end when the game ended, when the game that I was calling ended, that was my reaction. Like, oh, that went well. (laughs) It went very well. And Obadiah Stane was rhetorical. I certainly was not. Uh, That note on Dan Lanning. In his post-game press conference, he talked about buy-in and how he feels that the team is buying in to what this coaching staff is selling, the vision that they have. And a lot of coaches can say that. And it's one thing to say it, but it's another to see it play out on the field. And when I watch this team, particularly on offense, because it requires this sort of mindset to execute at the level that they are right now, I see buy-in from all 11 guys who are on the field, no matter who they are. I don't see any lackadaisical routes. I see receivers blocking downfield. I see tight ends kicking butt and taking names in the blocking game while also being capable receivers. Patrick Herbert hasn't caught a pass out of the backfield all year, makes the most of his one opportunity there. Cam McCormick got a touchdown, and Angel gets its wings every time 
Cam McCormick catches a touchdown. I think we all know that. But Patrick Herbert has been in there primarily as a blocker this year. Does he look frustrated? Does he look annoyed? Any of those receivers who are blocking on the perimeter, you can't have great running. I think Chip taught us this many, many years ago. You can't run the ball at a high level from the shotgun if you don't have receivers that want to and are capable of blocking. And every time I watch Oregon run the ball to the perimeter, I see Chase Cota, I see Chris Hudson, I see Troy Franklin, I see whoever else is out there just doing whatever they can, whatever they need to, to absolutely dominate the guy in front of them. I see a guy like Sean Dollars, who hasn't gotten as many carries as his athletic potential would allow for in a normal offense this year. He's in there in a two-back set with Noah Whittington. He only had a couple carries on Saturday. But guess what? When he's lead blocking for his guy, he's going out there and popping somebody. It's those sorts of little things that make me buy in to what Dan Lanning is saying, which is that the players have bought in. Because if you don't have that sort of culture actually established, then guys will half-ass it when it's not their time to get the ball or they have to do something that's, you know, quote-unquote dirty work or not flashy. I don't see any of that. I see the exact opposite, and it's a really, really good sign. I mean a really, really good sign. And by the way, before I forget, the uh, my favorite play for the week was not the most thrilling, right? Nissan thrilling play of the week. Most definitely that throw to Troy Franklin because, oh my gosh, it was perfect. The route is amazing. Franklin's just awesome. My favorite play from Kenny Dillingham this week. And I'm talking about the little things again, but all these little things add up. And when you see an offense that scores on six straight possessions against a defense that has played pretty well for the most part this year, you have to have these sorts of little things. My favorite play was the first touchdown of the game to Terrence Ferguson. Not just because every time Terrence Ferguson scores, I feel slightly justified in my ability to come on here and knowledgeably talk about Oregon football because I hyped him up big time coming into the year and he's a stud, also a great blocker. But everybody in some form or another, if you have a good offensive coordinator, runs a fake screen wheel concept. Everybody's got it. You throw some bubble screens, you throw a couple crack screens, a tunnel screen, and then you have a fake to set up to take a deep shot. But Dillingham isn't just lining them up out there and then having him fake block and release, he starts Ferguson on the end line, motions him out to greater sell the illusion of I'm coming out with momentum to pancake the corner for this screen pass, and then Bo Nix just zips it in there inside Blaylock to safety to the sideline, and he tight ropes it into the end zone. That is a beautiful play, and it's those sorts of little things I notice. The running back's blocking, the receiver's blocking adding those tiny little wrinkles, right? We saw another new play out of that jumbo package where you throw it to Patrick Herbert. Hadn't shown that all year. Before we went to Arizona, hadn't shown a tight end sweep all year. I bet you it's not the last time we do anything like that. It got called back, but when Oregon completed the third down to ice the game to Maliki Matavau and then Bo Nix did it with his legs there late in the fourth quarter, hadn't shown that either. Hadn't shown anything like that, but it's those sorts of small things for those key critical situations that give me so much faith in what Dillingham is doing. And he has improved tremendously. And remember what I was talking about earlier in the season and what we were all seeing play out, which is yeah, this guy's a first time play caller and kind of seems like seems like he's overthinking in the red zone. Well, I've talked about in the last couple of shows how or in the last couple of weeks, rather, 
how he's continued to improve in that sense. I feel like he continues to get better. You can't have these stretches where you score six or seven possessions in a row against a solid defense and the previously ninth-ranked team in the country if you don't have improved execution and play calling down in the red area. And I've been really, really pleased. Just just really, really pleased. I also thought the offensive line would be good this year. They continue to amaze me every week. Like I, like I knew. We all knew, I think, coming into this year, that the offensive line was going to be the best unit. It was the one where we had the least questions. They have depth. They have talent. They have experience. And they have a record of production. Bo Nix has been sacked once in seven games. <laughs> How else do you explain that? And by the way, Bo Nix deserves some of that credit. 100%. And going back to those little details and cultural buy-in, yeah, running backs are pass protecting at a high level as well. Again, a sign of a well-coached offense. Bonex has done some good things, but that offensive line, I don't know how else to continue to compliment them. I really don't. I'm, I'm, I'm out of what they can run the ball on literally anybody. They ran the ball well on Georgia. Not a lot of teams run it at four and a half yards of carry for 130 as a team where he had to throw most of the time. That offensive line led by Alex Forsyth, the, I believe, sixth year center. <laughs> they're, they're on another level. They're on another level. Shout out Jackson Powers Johnson, by the way. That guy has been playing more and more. He looks great. <laughs> he looks really good. Oregon's going to lose some offensive linemen after this year. I look at Marcus Harper, Jackson Powers Johnson, and say, well, those two with Josh Connerly, that's a pretty good starting point, and I feel good about them because I watch them play, and they know what they're doing. Their communication is great. Their, their run blocking is absurd. The the lanes they open up, the way they just collapse a defensive line down is unlike anything I've seen, even from them, even from, I think they've stepped it up a level this year. And a big reason you have three different running backs who are seeing the field with regularity Four if you count Jordan James, but he's just in the red zone. And I think if James were, you know, to be injured for a game, Oregon would be okay. I like getting carries. I'm totally fine with it. I think he's really effective in those short yardage situations. I think he's pretty similar to Noah Whittington stylistically. That that just kind of is what what I see. But you have those three distinct styles, and notice how they can all succeed, right? Whittington, a more downhill runner. Bucky Irving, the shiftiest of the bunch, and Dollars, the explosive straight line speed and acceleration. You don't have one guy who feels like he's way more suited to run the ball behind this unit than the other because they all can. And the holes that these guys are opening up allow those running backs to get into space and continue to succeed. And I I just continue to be impressed by that. One more offensive standout in this game before we get to the defense. And yes, I have several thoughts there. Many, many, some good, some leaving some room to be desired. And if you're leaving room to be desired on an individual level because you're dealing with sweat or body odor, you have got to go check out Sweat Block. Anyone, everyone knows someone who struggled with this, whether it's you, a friend, a family member, a coworker, a colleague, whoever it is. Sweat Block was created by a doctor to help with his own excessive sweating. It is doctor created and it is doctor Recommended. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try Sweat Block. You can save 20% 
on your order of sweat block with promo code locked on. That's two words at sweatblock.com. That's saving 20% with promo code locked on. Two words at sweatblock.com. Also available on Amazon. Okay, the last thought offensively here from this game was how unbelievable Troy Franklin continues to be. That guy, when you talk about recruits living up to their potential, that's what we're seeing from Troy Franklin. He has made that sophomore leap in a dramatic way. And you got to give him credit too, because some guys, and you can't hold it against them, might have jumped ship after a coaching staff leaves. Some players did. I understand it. I get it. You wanted to play for that staff. New one's coming in. You don't know him. Don't know how much you're going to be able to see the field. Well, he's seeing the field a whole heck of a lot. And yeah, that deep ball was amazing. And he just beat his guy. The contested catches that he is making, that touchdown going low to the ground, that's not an easy thing to do. The back shoulder from Bo Nix, his best throw of the game. And he started, I believe, 20 of 23 passing the ball. Another good game from Bo Nix. Interesting how that works. Going to talk about him plenty this week on the show because he deserves his due. But that back shoulder throw to Troy Franklin where Dan Lanning had to stop him from jarring too much and potentially getting a flag. Another thing I like about our head coach, he knows that he is the head coach and he doesn't have to tell anybody. And he's establishing that culture and holding guys accountable. We saw with DJ Johnson when he committed a silly penalty up at Washington State. We saw it there with Troy Franklin when Lanning said, hey, you're not doing that, right? I love seeing that from our head coach. Absolutely love it. But Franklin just continues to impress, and he's got everything in his bag. You can throw screen pass to him. He's good after the catch. He is such a fluid, easy, explosive route runner. Fantastic hands. He'll get out there and block on the edge. There's nothing to not like about Troy Franklin. That guy is, as they say, him. Okay, let's get to the defense. And plenty of thoughts here. I saw some improvement. I did. And Dan Lanning, I think, has seen some improvement and wants to see more. And when you look at Oregon stats, offense versus defense, it justifies what I'm talking about or exemplifies, I guess, what I was talking about earlier, which is we have a defensive head coach, but this is an offensively led team because the offensive numbers are off the charts. Bo Nix isn't, isn't being sacked. We're running the ball at a ridiculous clip. The receivers are explosive. The offense is multiple. Everything there is great. The defense... Holding UCLA to field goals in this game is not something that should go unnoticed or overlooked because that is a really good offense that they just played. A really good offense. You hold them to 30 points, seven of which came once the game had already been decided. And you only needed one turnover that came on a fourth down stop to do it. That's a good showing. The difference in this game, why Oregon was able to pull away is because Dillingham is marching this team down the field. He and Bo Nix and everybody else are getting into the red zone and they're punching it in for six points. And we're kind of expecting to see that at this point, right? Every time they get inside the 20, heck, every time they get inside like the 40, I expect them to get down there and score a touchdown now. Wasn't the case a month ago. A lot of growth there. Oregon now, giving up some yards for sure, but you hold UCLA to field goals. And you win the game. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. That's why Oregon pulled away. UCLA was forced to settle for field goals. 
because the defense got off the field when they needed to. Now, UCLA, you look at the box score, you say, well, they're 2 of 3 on fourth down and they're 6 of 12 on third. That can still get better. Yes, but you have to consider who the opponent is, right? When you're looking at all these statistics, I always say they are a starting point, not an end point. They are a reference. They are not a place to draw conclusions because stats always need context. I thought Oregon's defense played well in this game. Were they dominant? No. It's clearly not a unit that's capable of being dominant. But when you're playing an offense as good as UCLA's, and Chip Kelly may not be exactly what he once was in college football, but he is still a sharp offensive mind. He designs plays really, really well. Overall, I was pleased with how the Ducks performed on third down. I still want to see them get better, and they'll have a chance to show that this week and next week against Cal and Colorado. That's when you expect to see the numbers. No excuses. You got to be able to get off the field. You got to be able to limit yards, and you have to be able to limit points. But when you're playing a big game against a big-time offense like that and a really good red-hot quarterback who's got an array of weapons, a smart play caller, and a darn good NFL running back, you're not going to have a dominant showing. Would it feel really good if you looked up and UCLA had been 4 of 12 on third down? Yeah, sure. But they probably would have just had a couple fourth down attempts instead, and they probably convert one or both of those anyway, because Chip is a really good play caller and a really good play designer, right? He is way above average in that sense. And the key for Oregon in this game was to get off the field in the red zone. And ultimately, that's what you're trying to do. Like, do you want to allow fewer yards? Sure. Of course, I want to see the defense continue to progress. It's the biggest concern I have right now with regards to whether or not Oregon could run the table and be a college football playoff team is you have to be very well-rounded for that. The offense looks special. The offensive line is special. But is the defense going to be good enough? That's a question. That's a legitimate question. Maybe they could get in with the Oklahoma model of the past years with Lincoln Riley. Score a bunch of points. Don't need the defense to be great. Just need them to not be a disaster. That's kind of what it looks like right now. But I want to go through the defense a little more to wrap up the show today. 448 total yards. It's not a pretty number. But again, context. When were those yards gained? Who is your opponent and what is their offensive personnel? Because in modern football, the rules are skewed towards the offense. And that is where the smartest coaches are going. That's where they're all coming from. And offenses are just really hard to stop now. You don't see dominant defenses like Georgia's anymore. Heck, Nick Saban. Nick Saban's defenses used to be incredible. He got torched by Hendon Hooker in Tennessee. Who's good? It's a good football team. He's a good player, but... 10 years ago, it wasn't the case. That's just the way the defense works now. If you allow a bunch of yards and then hold them to field goals, that can be how you win a lot of football games. A lot of football games. LSU in 2019 had a good defense. Wasn't dominant. Wasn't amazing. They were just better on offense. It's a side of the ball where you have to be prolific in 2022. Penalty yards, saw some growth there. Just 46 penalty yards in this game. There were eight of them, so a lot of five-yarders in there. But under 50 penalty yards, that's a much better place for Oregon to be. Remember, against Stanford, it was, I think, 125, which was their most since, like, 2019 at USC, I think is the, the stat that I pulled out for that particular show. Again, what Landing talks about, progress, growth, keep getting better. 
got to play your best football by the end of the year and still be able to pick up wins. I don't think Oregon defensively has played anywhere close to its potential, but this is just what the defense is so far. Uh, One thing I got to note, the two linebackers. Noah Sewell had his best game of the year. I think he only had like five tackles, but he influenced so many plays, which is again another plug for stats or a starting point, not an end point. Noah Sewell was blitzed a lot in this game to help generate pressure because that's still an area where this defensive line, it's a good UCLA offensive line, sure, but if you want to be great, you want to win a conference championship, you have to be able to go against a good offensive line and get pressure more often than they did. They did it in a couple moments, and it really helped, right? The fourth down, that fourth and sixth play with a Brian Addison interception, just perfectly played spy from Noah Sewell, who was spying DTR all game long, I'm glad they went with him because it was working early and they stuck with it. But he was also coming on the pressure, just blitzing against tight ends or defensive ends, and he was wreaking havoc back there. Dorless and DJ Johnson had their moments. I thought Johnson was better than Dorless overall in this game, but it wasn't a great day for Oregon's pass rush. I loved what I saw from Noah Sewell. I thought by far that was his best game of the year. I also thought Dante Manning continued to continue to look good when he came off that corner blitz i thought man that's some five-star speed if you can put it all together that'd be pretty nice but sajalo florence out there i think triquez bridges is improving i liked a lot of things what i saw from the defense one thing i gotta note and i won't end it on a negative but justin Flo has the physical traits to be a great football player right now he hasn't actually played very much football and he's a very undisciplined football player he, he is not good at playing assignment football. And I'm sure the coaches are going to continue to work with him on that. But a couple of big runs and a couple of passing situations, he doesn't always know where he needs to be and doesn't quite have a feel because, you know, when you're that physically gifted, you can kind of get away with it in high school. But in college, you got to be able to make the schematic jump a little bit or else opposing coaches are, are going to exploit that. I think we've seen that to this point. Right. There was a big run from Zach Charbonnet where DTR led block down the sideline. It was all on Justin Flo. If he fills his gap and just plays discipline and trusts Noah Sewell on the other side, who, you know, had uh, at least stood up the offensive lineman for the time being, it's probably a four to six yard gain. Instead, it was like a 30 yard game because Flo jumped over, Charbonnet saw it and made a cut. You can't have those sort of mistakes. But defensively, Oregon still did a lot of things well. I, I was really impressed with TriQuest Bridges. I was. I think that was his best game of the year, too. He made plays on on a screen pass. He made plays tackling in space a couple times. He wasn't getting consistently beaten coverage, right? A lot of the damage that UCLA did throwing the ball, and that's uh, Chip Kelly staple, was over the middle. But I think part of that, too, was that he had Gonzo one-on-one with Bobo, who shut him down for the most part until kind of the, the end of the game, I think limited him compared to what the Bruins have been wanting to do with their leading wide receiver. But I thought Bridges played much better. And what was the problem for Oregon earlier in the year? Defending screen passes. This game, UCLA tried a couple times, and they had some mild success, but it never felt like a weakness. Continue to progress, continue to grow. This was just a great overall game for Oregon football, and we should continue to enjoy it because yeah it was on a big stage as well appreciate everyone listening see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day go ducks